Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Royal Symbols, who are taking the 400-year-old tradition of symbol making into the future. If you can think it, they can make it. Whether you play drums in your basement or on the world's biggest stages, they can help you craft your sound. Utilizing their combined 50 years of cymbal sound expertise, they can take your sound ideas and create an instrument that you'll love. Within their lines of royal cymbals, including the custom-made cymbal craftsman cymbals, they offer a full range of sound colors and can also modify your current cymbals to better fit your needs. Royal Cymbals was born out of the need to create the best sounding instruments for drummers who have a wide range of sound needs. Over the last few decades, owners Paul Francis and Sarah Hagen have worked together along with the world's greatest drummers to create many of the modern cymbal sounds that you hear in live music and on countless recordings. They're continuing to do this into the future with Royal Cymbals. Check out RoyalSymbols.com or email at info at RoyalSymbols.com. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 148 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Dave Perner from Soul Asylum, I want to remind you that you can now get Mistress Carrie guitar picks in the online shop at mistresscarrie.com. This week on the podcast, my guest Dave Perner is the lead singer and songwriter from Soul Asylum. He's been out on the road preparing for the band's 30th anniversary celebration of their MTV Unplugged performance, and he's doing it for Record Store Day in his hometown of Minneapolis. We talked about his hometown and his adopted hometown of New Orleans. We also talked about the resurgence of vinyl, Record Store Day, his parents and their influence on his musical upbringing. We also talked about his songwriting process, the band's early days playing CBGBs, 
Soul Asylum's appearances on many different movie soundtracks, his work with Kevin Smith, cheese curds, sports, his pet fish, and so much more. So allow me to introduce you to Dave Perner from Soul Asylum. Dave, how are you? I am great. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No problem. How are you? What's going on? Oh, I'm pretty, 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 pretty good. Uh, I'm just uh, hanging out in the snow, and it's snowing. Another beautiful day in Minneapolis. It's uh, been snowing a lot lately. <laughs> uh, and as I've told people before, uh, COVID was not as unusual in Minneapolis as it is places because we're kind of used to being shut in all winter. So we're going through that right now. I mean, the ice has been ridiculous. Um, old people do not go outside because you don't want to break your pelvis. Um, I made it through the winter so far, knock on wood. I only wiped out two times. (laughs) (laughs) And, did not sustain any serious injuries. Actually, I did kind of mess my back up. The weather's been really crazy in New England, too. One day it was 70 degrees, and the next day it was 35 below. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we were just out that way, and it was not. Um, we were hoping it'd be, well, anything is is not as cold as Minneapolis, but uh, it was cold in England. We just went to England. So, uh, yeah. You know, I'm kind of over it. (laughs) There's a lot of musicians that once they find some success and travel around and and experience other places and got a little bit of money, that they choose to relocate somewhere warmer, more tropical. But you're like, nope, born and raised in the cold, sticking by it. Well, I lived in New Orleans for 20 years, so that was supposed to be my solution. And then you moved Um, back. I did. And, uh, <laughs> uh, this is where my, my family is and my friends and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so yeah, um, it, it, it was good. It, it is good to be back. I am going down to New Orleans this Friday, and uh, I still have a place down there. Do you still um, have the recording studio down there, too? I do, which is actually more important to me than than the house. Um, so I'm, I'm still trying to, my uh, kid went to college, which gave me one less reason to go to New Orleans. So I'm still kind of trying to figure out uh, what to do about that situation. But I got the house painted recently and I haven't seen it since it's been painted. So that will be exciting. New Orleans is a great place to go to party, but I would think it's a difficult place to try and focus on work for musicians to kind of close out all the noise of the city to actually work on recording and get serious. Yeah, that's why I built a soundproof room in the backyard (laughs) where I spent most of my time. Um, But I, I, I mean, I guess the other side of that is that there's so much music in in New Orleans that you're kind of constantly immersed in it, which is, for lack of a better expression, pretty inspiring. I wanted to tell you that um, back in the 90s, 
you toured with the Screaming Trees and the Spin Doctors, and I went with a bunch of my friends, and that is the closest I have ever come to death. Really? I almost died, and I hate to even admit this out loud, I almost died in a mosh pit during the Spin Doctors Two Princess. <laughs> wow. And and it's one of those things that every time I hear one of your songs or the Screaming Trees or if I stumble upon the Spin Doctors, I'm brought back to that show at the old Riverside Park in Agawam, Massachusetts and have to actually say out loud, I almost died at that show. Yeah, well, thank God. <laughs> Still with us today. I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying. If it was, a, you know, a black flag show or something, maybe it would make more sense. I do not remember a lot of mosh pits for the spin doctors, but <laughs> it was all the rage, I suppose. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're okay. And then the total opposite. You got to be careful. Yeah, you got to bring a buddy to a spin doctors concert. Responsibly. <laughs> Stay away from the dudes with spikes on their on their jackets. The other thing that that really kind of took hold on the exact opposite end of the music spectrum was the MTV Unplugged, and you had an iconic performance that you're actually getting ready to reenact coming up on April 20th at home in Minneapolis. Yeah, I mean it's not so much a reenactment as it is just. Uh, I mean, the thrill for me is hiring a string section. We got Ivan Neville playing keys with us, and uh, it presents the songs in a in a real different kind of way. Um, we're gonna have some gospel singers, and uh, it should it should be cool. I mean, the difference is that it's been thirty years, so I've got uh, thirty years worth of material that I've written since then. And uh, giving these newer songs this kind of treatment uh, is exciting to me. Um, we'll play the standards and stuff, but uh, we'll be playing a lot of things that were not written yet by when we did it 30 years ago. It also comes the same week as Record Store Day. Are you surprised that vinyl is having this level of a resurgence? Uh, it is a, it is a relief and it is a, it is a, not a, not an, I told you so, but I, when CDs first came out, I, I was very, very hesitant to sort of, I was like, nah, this ain't going to last or whatever. I'm going to keep listening to records. And to this day, I still listen to records. So, uh, it, it's, it works really well for me to uh, not be dealing with an obsolete sort of thing. And I, 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 I do think that, you know, records sound better. And if you're too lazy to get up and turn a record over, then, well, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and I, I really, there's something not, not just, uh, habitual about it, but uh, it, it's it's more of a physical thing, and 
to sort of let a computer pick your music for you is, I don't know, it just seems lazy to me. Um, so, you know, I love going to the record store. I still buy records. I'm looking at my wall of record collection right now. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just much more satisfying to me than turning your phone on and finding a speaker. And yeah, man, I like, uh, I like records. I like the fact that the music industry has wrapped its arms around supporting those locally owned independent record stores that you're talking about to go in there and thumb through the racks and get lost and try to find something new. Oh yeah. And we usually put something out. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool. I pretty much make a date out of it and go to a few record stores and, or we play at a record store, which is what we'll be doing this year. Do you still have all your albums from when you were growing up? Were you the kind of person that literally just saved everything? Because that's how I am. Well, it's funny you should ask because uh, I was just moving records around last night. Um, and yeah, I got big boxes of records that not only did did I save all my records, which some of them are like, ah, I'm never going to listen to this. Um, so I'm going to put it in the basement. Um, but, uh, then my, like my sister unloaded some of her records on me and then my mother passed away and I got her records. And now my dad is trying to figure out how to play his 78, which I'm diligently researching <laughs> because it's, not that easy um you know transferring them to a digital format is really expensive and he's 90 so <laughs> just trying to get his music in a in a place where it's can, it's easy for him to listen to it is a real challenge but uh it's cool i mean i, I bought a 78 player in uh New Orleans that has a crank on the side of it, you know, the big horn. And uh, I said, well, man, you might have to get one of those pops. And he was like, ah, I'm not getting up and turning a 78 over every time the song ends. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's comical at best, but it's, uh, it does give me something to, to talk about and to do and to look through my father's record collection tells me a little something about him and to that effect it's it's pretty great and it would not exist if they had mp3s in 1939 or whenever you know i have a theory about music and you're and you're talking about that very thing that our musical lives get kind of split into two things there's the soundtrack to your childhood and the music that you get exposed to when you're growing up that's on at your parents' house or that your older siblings or your cool uncle play for you. And then there's something that you hear, and I call it the line in the sand, where you get exposed to a song, a band, an album, and you take a step forward and go, that's mine, I like that, and it changes everything. So can you talk about what the soundtrack to your childhood was and then what it was that stepped you out in your own musical identity? 
Well, I mean, I suppose that the 45s that I just acquired from my mother uh, were, were things that probably when we were very young, well, not probably, I remember doing it, we would listen to. And that's, that's kind of how I discovered Elvis Presley. I did a pretty good Elvis Presley impersonation when I was eight years old. Um, so, uh, my older sister, uh, bought records and I, I think that that's when I started getting into albums was putting her records on probably more than she was doing it. And, uh, you know, at, at some point or another, uh, I didn't have a job yet. I don't know how old I was, but uh, I was like, well, I'm going to start buying my own records and, you know, I, I would save up my whatever hard-earned uh, cash, which was, who knows where I got that. I don't know. My grandma would give me $5 and I'd go straight to the record store and, um, yeah, I just started listening and, and it becomes very interesting when you spend all your hard-earned money on a record and you're like, eh, I don't know if I like this one. But uh, Do you remember the, the first hand, one you ever bought? Uh, I believe it was Captain Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my older sister was into, um, you know, Elton John and Bruce Springsteen and, and people like that where, you know, you, I would hear the entire record and go, oh, I'm starting to understand that this is, this is what an album is. And then, you know, you got the artwork and all that stuff. Um, it's uh, very fond memories, I suppose. I was addicted at a very young age. When you look back at the music that you listened to growing up, were you also learning how to play music? Does it run in your family or are you the first musician? Also my older sister. My older sister played clarinet in the school band. Wait, hold and- on. We have another clarinet in the fa- Oh, Do you know how rare uh-huh. it is for me to bump into a clarinet player on the show? I'm so happy, Dave, that you had one in the family. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I picked the trumpet, and that was around third grade, I believe. I started playing the trumpet, and uh, yeah, a lot of the first records that that I bought were were jazz records, basically, um, trumpet player records, Maynard Ferguson, and people like that. Um, so I had a I had a taste for that, and uh, it just kind of evolved from there i think jimmy hendrix already experienced when i when i came across that record because the other trumpet player let me borrow his brother's jimmy hendrix record um i think that's when i really started to move to why aren't i just playing the guitar i switched from trumpet to saxophone because at that time there was a lot of rock bands with saxophones in them and, uh, there were not any rock bands with clarinets in them, I am sad to report. No, which is, oddly enough. It's why my career never took off, and it and it died in the marching band. Yeah, my sister moved to saxophone also. 
Um, but yeah, now now it's not such a rock and roll instrument as much as you know Bob Seger and Bruce Springsteen and all those bands. They had a sax player, so it seemed closer. But then I was like, ah, I'm just gonna cut to the chase and try to figure out how to play the guitar. When before you picked up the guitar, were you? writing songs or poetry and not knowing they were songs and were you already singing or was the guitar the gateway to rock and roll as a performer for you? Uh, was a little bit of all those things. I mean, I, I was, I, I would, I was singing in church and places like that, places like that. Um, and, uh, the, I mean, I would try to write music on music paper for the trumpet a little bit, not a lot, but I was getting into it and I was getting into rhyming things and not really knowing where all of it was going. But uh, I suppose right around high school, I started started writing tunes, um, which eventually turned into writing the music for the band. Do, because you had the the unplugged and you're getting ready to do this new performance with gospel singers and strings, do you write your songs on acoustic and then plug them in, or do you write them on electric and unplug them? How does it work for you? Uh, it really depends on... I mean, there's some songs that, like, there's a song called Misery, and we were, uh, I, I don't remember how it came about, but one of the one of the fellows in the band was like, oh, yeah, I saw this old, uh, old uh, film thing of you guys playing Misery live, and I didn't know you used to play acoustic on that, and I had forgotten. Um so there's some songs where I'm like, well, well, what am I, am I going to play electric or acoustic on this? Cause there's acoustic on the record, but maybe I'll switch to electric for the gig and vice versa. Um, it, it really just depends on the song. And when there's four people in the band, the instrumentation is, it's kind of crucial and it's kind of obvious in a, or it's not obvious. But, uh, yeah, it just becomes a, whatever serves the song the best. And uh, sometimes it starts out on acoustic. And uh, yeah, more often than not, it's, it's just something that's swimming around in my head. And I'll kind of try to put it together one way or the other. The words will come first or the music will come first. It's really 50-50 as far as how it sort of amalgamates I don't even know if that's the right word I talk to a lot of musicians about that creative process and there are some that sit down and say I'm going to write and and that's how they work and then there's others that kind of always have a guitar in their hand or they're always um, getting inspired by something they see and kind of keeping a diary of a song lyric idea or a song title idea which one best describes you Mm, the last one, uh, I'm that person that is always writing things on candy wrappers and 
stuff that constantly it's kind of always going on in my head i'll sneak into the bathroom and pull out a dictaphone while my phone and hum something into the phone or uh, i'm constantly uh, somebody asked me recently because i have a calendar in front of me and instead of writing events on the calendar i'm just taking notes for songwriting and they're like well how, what does this all mean because it doesn't really make any sense when it's a bunch of sort of couplets or, or phrases or just words so i'll just write a word down and i explained it as well sometimes it's kind of like building a house and every word is a brick um so yeah it's it's something that i'm always thinking about it never ceases a tune will come to my head and i'll start whistling it and then i'll go hey you know, that's pretty good and i'll pick up a guitar and it will just keep going that way until it either turns into something or doesn't i'm fascinated by the songwriting process mostly because i can't do it myself no how to, no matter how hard i try and so I always ask songwriters this question. It's not a favorite song question or anything like that, but from a songwriting perspective, can you give me an example of a song from any artist or genre that you kind of hold as that's an example of perfect songwriting that you wish you wrote it, but then you got to break it down and tell me why you believe it's so brilliant. Well, uh, the the question <clears throat> is there a song that you wish you had written? I I, I ended up answering that question. With Happy birthday! <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, why why is that the birthday song and and how did that happen? And uh, there there's songs like My Funny Valentine that I just listen to and I go that that's brilliant. Um, there's songs that are you know, classical music where I'll just go, Oh my God, that, that is beautiful. And I'll, my brain will start to try to understand the chordal structure and all this kind of, it's not abstract because I understand it. I can hear it, but I'm not classically trained. So I don't see notes on a staff paper. I, I just, I hear harmonies and, and melodies and try to, sort of understand how it's all put together. Um, I think there's a, 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 there's a, there's a song Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan. And I'm like, well, that really sort of touches me in a way that is very powerful. There's a song called Street Hassles by Lou Reed, which is um, very much affected me. Um, and there's a lot of cellos and there's a lot of weird instrumentation that you wouldn't expect from a quote unquote rock songwriter. Um, but there's a story involved and there's a, it's very immersive. And, uh, I think that is, is kind of something that has affected the way I think about writing songs. You've spent basically your entire adult life as a professional musician touring around the world. Have you, what's the most awe inspiring place you've ever been? A place that affected you the way that those songs affected you? 
What do you mean, like to 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 hang out in or to play in? Uh, either either one. I I just find that musicians are the most well traveled people that I know, and it may have been a place you got to go and experience on a day off or or a venue or just a crowd, just something that just stopped you in your tracks and you're like, wow, I'm never for gonna gonna forget this day. Uh, probably the whole CBGBs sort of thing. The, it, it just rang true for me that that was kind of a, like a legendary destination, like someplace that I wanted to play. And, uh, I was in New York before we played there and I went to CBGBs during the day just to soak it up. Ooh, you and went during the day anti- and saw it in the daylight? Oof. Oh, I you know I was very young. Yeah. <laughs> and they were just like, What are you what are you doing, kid? And I was like, Oh, I was just looking around. Um and it, it never phased me as far as going, Wow, this is a dump. This is not, you know, the Shangri La that I expected it to be. It was it just reinforced that I gotta play here someday. And I think that that was a big uh, impression because we ended up playing there quite a bit and you're hanging out in the Bowery all day, which is, you know, it's, it's New York at its grittiest and uh, something that seemed exciting and dangerous for a 19-year-old to be playing in that atmosphere. And, and you kind of and you kind of move on like that. And it turns into some club in England, and then it turns into you know a day off in uh, fucking Amsterdam. You know, well, that, a day off hey. in Amsterdam will do it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of artists that cite a gig at CBGBs as kind of like their Spinal Tap moment too. That like the craziest thing that's ever happened in their career. It always seemed to happen within the walls of CBGBs. Yeah. I mean, it was just a place that I had always heard about and a place where all these great bands were coming out of and a place I knew I had to play. I, you know, very determined. And I think when I was, when I was younger, I, I, thought the two things I wanted to do was make music and travel, which turns out to be very convenient. (laughs) And I think in my brain, I was like, well, the only way I'm going to get to see the world is if I can see it with a band, which did in fact happen. So, uh, do you travel for fun now? No, I, I, no, Mm -mm. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a drag when it comes to that. I I don't when I'm not touring on the road, which is most of the time. I, I the last thing I want to do is get on a plane and stay at a hotel and go through all the hassles of traveling. So it can be a drag for the significant other who wants to go on vacation. And I'm like, uh, uh-uh. I don't. I don't. I live in hotels. I live on planes and trains and buses. And I want to stay home with the dog. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of significant others, um, I'm married into a family 
from northern Wisconsin, which has mm. become um, quite the interesting lesson. And I think I know more about cheese curds than I ever did in my entire life. Any advice from me being from Green Bay? Well, Wikipedia says I was born in Green Bay, but that is not true. Wait, you're not uh, from Green Bay? That's what everybody told me when I was prepping for this interview. I saw it all over the place. My mother is from Green Bay. But I spent time visiting my grandparents and stuff in Green Bay, but I was born right here in Minneapolis. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, cheese was a big part of my upbringing. And uh, <laughs> I worked at a restaurant where they had deep fried cheese curds and they were not cheese curds. I mean, you got to get them at a truck stop in Wisconsin or, you know, they got cheese shops in Wisconsin. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, sausage and cheese growing up. I never experienced anything like that. And, and in New England, you really wouldn't stop at a gas station and buy sausage and cheese, but it's something you do there. And I mm -hmm. learned all about the squeaky cheese curds from my husband, which I didn't yeah. know was a thing either. Yeah, they got to be squeaky. <laughs> and, it, and it helps the uh, the whole, uh, what what was her name? Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet eating her curds and whey. Yes. Uh, I never would have known what a curd was. Uh, so yeah, there, I, I, last time I was in Wisconsin, I bought a bag of cheese curds <laughs> at a gas station and they're great. You know, you can put them in the fridge and yeah, I don't know. Um, that's just how I was raised. It's also a part of the country that seems to be really passionate about sports. A lot of the way that New England is where I grew up. Did oh, you yeah. did you ever kind of get sucked into all of that? Are you a big sports fan now, or is it just music for you? Well, a lot of towns sort of scream that, like Pittsburgh and Cleveland and uh, Chicago, uh, big sports towns, a lot of sports bars, a lot of, um, you know, people wearing jerseys and whatever. Um, but I was raised a Green Bay Packer fan due to my mother being from there. And when I was very young, my grandmother introduced me to Bart Starr, who was the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. And as a six-year-old, I was very young, but it made an impression. I was like, oh, my God, it's really him. Um, plus, his name was Bart Starr. So. Um, but uh, I played sports in high school. Well, in up until high school, I suppose. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's still funny for me when, like, my younger brother is a Vikings fan and there's a lot of shit talk <laughs> back to play the Vikings. Then I lived in New Orleans for 20 years. and Kind of uh, hard not to be a Saints fan down there. Oh, absolutely. After Hurricane Katrina, the 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 Saints won the Super Bowl, and it was just overwhelmingly celebratory. Um, so, yeah, those are my three teams. There you go. 
there it always seems that musicians kind of want to be athletes or actors and actors always want to be musicians and athletes want to be music like it always seems that those kind of three groups of people always want to do what the other one does yeah i suppose i mean i got over the sports thing and and i think that it it, it repelled me into the music thing in a weird way the competition sort of started to wear on me and it started to feel more like being in the military. Um, and then that's kind of, I started to kind of, I don't know, rebel against all that and, uh, never wanted to be an actor though. (laughs) You have been featured on a bunch of amazing like soundtracks though. Matter of fact, um, one of my favorite all time movies random so i married an axe murderer you're on that soundtrack that's one of your favorite movies i don't think i go a week without quoting that ridiculous film i don't know why yes the whole thing oh the whole thing about colonel sanders and i yes i quote so i married an act the first 45 minutes of that movie are freaking hilarious Oh, I'm going to check it out again. How can you hate the colonel with his wee beady eye? It blew by me. (laughs) There's some great lines in that one for sure. And aren't they supposed to be redoing Twister? You were on that soundtrack too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I love the movies. I mean, I'm, I'm a big film buff. I don't know if that's the right expression, but yes, an enthusiast. Um. So, yeah, I mean, the work that I had the privilege of, of doing with Kevin Smith was just a great, great experience. And uh, He seems like somebody that's just so fun to be around all the time. He really is. He's, he's a very sharp wit, very intelligent man and, and funny as fuck. Um, <laughs> can, you, can you give me... Um, some advice you've you've navigated basically all that you can in the music business like extreme highs riding a wave that's just near impossible to maintain can you give me a piece of advice you wish someone had given you and the best piece of advice someone ever did give you about navigating the music business uh a long time ago, a guy that worked for A&M when we were signed for A&M used to say, there's room for everyone. And I never believed him. Um, we were sort of brushed aside as an alternative band when alternative meant alternative to selling records. And uh, the... Wait a minute. What's the question again? <laughs> advice you wish someone had given you or advice oh. you'd give your, your younger self and really good advice that someone did give you. Well, I think Keith Richards said to me, it never stops. It never gets less strange and it never gets less fun. And that was nice to hear from a seasoned veteran. Um, uh, the thing that I've settled on is, is, keep your expectations extremely low um, because you're often getting set up for a disappointment. And that's just something you have to live with if you're going to pursue this kind of sketchy (laughs) pursuit. I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, you got, you got to roll with the punches and kind of not get, uh, psyched out, so to speak. There's a lot of people making big financial mistakes along the way and there's got to oh, yeah, be something. What, what did you buy that you just go, what the hell was I doing? I was watching an interview on my cable access with some hip hop guys. And, and one of the, one of the fellas said something to the effect of, if you do ever make any money making music, don't go out there and, and buy a, a fucking Hummer. Get a, get a Yugo. I remember he said Yugo. Like, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think that that was all pretty, I, 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 I've never been the kind of person that wanted a life of luxury or a, or a fancy sports car or anything. So I've, I've never really bought into the whole, oh, I'm going to go buy a McMansion in LA. And I mean, the dumbest things that I've done aren't really financially related. <laughs> but, so yeah, I've never had a fancy car and I never got into fancy clothes and, I'm never really, you know, I, I love going to a nice restaurant, but, uh, yeah, I, I know. I mean, it's not even part of the aesthetic really. I mean, if you play in a punk rock band, you're not sitting around dreaming about luxury amenities. <laughs> so wait, hold on. We're going to go from truck stop cheese curds and you talk about liking to go out for like a nice dinner. I, I'm Sicilian, so food is literally life. Can you remember the mm. best meal you ever had? Uh, I don't, the first thing that came to my mind was we were at the top of our game in Tokyo. And we ate at this amazing restaurant where they had you know all this just piles and piles of fresh seafood and it was a pretty special experience and I paid the bill and I was shocked that it was that expensive but uh yeah you know that was cool and it, it all started out with being from Minneapolis we're not really known for our cuisine here so we would go to New York and have A&R people take us out to dinner. And that's really when I discovered good food, you know, especially back then. Minneapolis did not have a lot of um, fine cuisine. Uh, so, yeah, it was really people taking out the bands on their expense accounts that introduced me to uh, great food. Do you remember how much that bill was in Tokyo? No, but <laughs> it was a lot. Um, I have to ask you this question before I let you go. And I call it the geezer question now, because when I talked to geezer Butler from black Sabbath, we got off on the tangent about his pets and he dropped the bomb on me that he and his wife name all their cats and dogs after gangster rappers, and I almost fell on the floor. So That's now I have to ask every musician what their pets' names are because I've never not thought it was hilarious, and I gotta blame Geezer Butler for the question. 
I was just in Birmingham, as a matter of fact, and uh, I asked the crowd, I said, yeah, this, is, this is where Black Sabbath is from, and they were all very proud to say yes. Um, but uh, I don't know, we had a fish, and uh, I have a roommate, and his name is Kirk, but I call him Donnie, and uh, I named the fish Kirk. So the fish was my roommate's name. My roommate had a nickname. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to be a touring musician and have have pets. But I, 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 you know, most of the pets that I had growing up, or my sister had, or whoever, had pretty dumb names. I think you might be the first musician with a pet fish that I've had on the show. Oh, well. It, it's an honor. It's very low maintenance. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate it. You, you've been out um, playing these acoustic shows and obviously now getting ready to take the stage acoustic with a whole band in your hometown and celebrating Record Store Day. It's very cool. Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate you hanging out with me, and I also appreciate your knowledge of squeaky cheese curds. I will pass that along to my husband. Right on. <laughs> okay, maybe uh, maybe I'll run into you out there. Yeah, I'm, I'll probably be the only purple-haired girl roaming around northern Wisconsin. Wow. That's a good. That's a good tip. There he is, Dave Perner from Soul Asylum. If you check the show notes of this week's episode, you'll find all the links to find Soul Asylum online. To find me online, and you'll find the link to this episode's corresponding playlist. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast that features all of my guest music and all the songs and artists that we referenced in the interview. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, you get the sit rep. The Situation Report boils down all of your rock news, entertainment headlines, and music updates to around five minutes to keep you up to date on everything that's going on. And besides, you never know when we're going to release a surprise bonus episode. And if you want more Mistress Carrie, join me live on my official Facebook page every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern for my video streaming show, Cocktails in the War Room. And you can also check out the Mistress Carrie radio show on a station near you. Get the links to all that and more at MistressCarrie.com. And while you're there, check out the official Mistress Carrie online shop. New to the shop, Mistress Carrie Guitar Picks. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 